bounced up and down for five years <laughs> the beginning of every podcast is just gonna be like 30 seconds of us fucking with our chairs where's the lumbar face it's in your lower spine lumbar i always thought it was like had something to do with trees when i was younger lumber lumbar support <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to High Quality Nonsense. It's the good stuff. Good shit, good shit. That darn good stuff. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I I got too excited and I broke my stylus. (sighs) I'm Casey. (laughs) I'm Faith. (laughs) So, should we start it off just by drawing the topic? I suppose we could. Because David did make a bunch of topics and then put them in a bowl. And then reminded us about it every like... Repeatedly. Five minutes once we got here. <laughs> All right. I brought one out. Oh, I mean, We're I not guess. even going to like go over your day or like anything you did. Uh, well, I puttered around the house, woke up at 9.30, got a cup of coffee, talked to my cat for maybe a half hour. You talked to your cat for half an hour. <laughs> Telling him what I was going to do today and getting myself motivated. Jesus. And then uh, I cleaned the house and reorganized the office and I hung up a bunch of stuff. So hopefully the echo isn't too bad, but yeah. I can still hear it. That's why I didn't talk about my day. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm sorry. That's why I did not. <laughs> okay. All How right. was your day? <laughs> Let's start um, about yours. Hmm? I woke up at about 8.30 and then I went to court and then I came home. Yeah. You went to a court because you're a bad girl. I'm a bad girl. I have an arrest record. <laughs> I'm going to get mom tattooed on my arm. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be odd if somebody, like, instead of mom, said cousin? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love my cousin. <laughs> cousin. <laughs> Fam. What's the topic? Faith, that's what the long pause was. So I know. <laughs> <laughs> She immediately got enamored with his tiny piece of paper. <laughs> Fucking my my gaze drifted down and then it was just over from there. I'm enamored with you. Yeah, I'm hammered with you too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh my God. I haven't been talking in the right place this whole time. We'll see. Maybe I was talking loud enough. We'll see. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. I feel like most of the time we don't know what day it is. And then we're like, wait, what day What day is it? Is it Groundhog's Day? No. Did we miss Fat Tuesday? No. I don't know. I think we did. We may have. I think that was last Tuesday. Uh, I'm going to agree, but I am also going to look it up. Is it Thursday today? Today is Thursday. Mm, your birthday party is he Saturday. No, Mardi Gras is not until March 5th. Hmm. What are you going to do for Lent? Eat some lentils. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. I drew a topic that I like. Oh, good. Okay. So <laughs> today is Valentine's Day. Did we do a theme? Happy Valentine. Ha- <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, it's the time we of the vows. <laughs> we didn't do a theme at all. No. Just so we're all aware. Because nobody, n- I don't think any of us remembered that it was Valentine's Day. When I texted Casey this morning, I was like, are we still recording? I just found out it's Valentine's Day. It's uh, it's 
It's fine. It's a made-up holiday anyways. It is a Hallmark holiday. Mom even invited us over to watch Hallmark Channel with her. Oh, God. As if we don't get enough of that at Christmas. I told her our plans anyways. She trying to hijack my plans. She knew. Mom knew our plans. Oh, my. <laughs> Your laundry's done. Heck I just yeah, heard it. it. <laughs> it's one big fluffy blanket. Are we going to talk about the topic that you drew that you're really happy about? I'm really happy about this topic. Okay. What is the I'm topic? I'm so excited about it. I'll tell you when it's my turn. Uh, okay. Wait, is it my turn? Yeah. Wait, aren't we going to look at this thing? The that's what I meant. It was like this. That's oh, the topic. Oh, I thought you meant like... My bad. I thought you were talking about my story. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so... So let's get you on with it. You're just like, get your shit together. Yeah. Uh, all right. Why does your belly button make you feel weird? <laughs> In weird places. <laughs> I still have no idea um, what you guys were talking about. Because David was like, you know, like when you poke your finger really deep into your belly button and it like, you can feel your penis. It makes your penis feel weird. And I was just like, this was like a couple of days ago at our apartment. And I'm sitting there in that chair next to the desk. And I just like lifted up my shirt and like jammed my finger <laughs> into my belly button to like see if it felt weird. And I didn't... were you like half waiting like somebody to go, ha ha, made you do it. Right. I was just kind of like, I didn't feel anything, but I was like, well, now my finger's like, I got, I got up to like the second knuckle. I have like a really deep <laughs> belly button. <laughs> I almost did a spit take with coffee. <laughs> I was like. I got to the <laughs> second knuckle. I got to the second knuckle. It went way in there, and I didn't feel a thing. When I, when I, <laughs> man, people are gonna think we are fucking weird. Uh, <laughs> when I was in elementary school, I used to do. I thought it was like a magic trick. <laughs> But I would stick a pencil eraser side in and like make half of it disappear <laughs> into my belly button. Oh my God, I've done that too. Or I've like stuck it like eraser side in and then twisted it. <laughs> Ew, no. like, and then like my tummy did like a, t a tie dye swirl effect. <laughs> that's, that's terrible. Okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, who's but, to... <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, that's the, the whole belly button thing where you push into your belly button you can feel like your nether regions i don't feel that i uh, i do i mean and then i also wanted to test it on adam and he was just like what <laughs> about to take a nap he was just laying in bed and i lifted, <laughs> up, I lifted up his shirt and then I poked him in the belly button really hard. And I said, can you feel your penis? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, yes, stop. And was like immediately like smacking my hand out of the way. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm getting married to him. He knows what's coming. That's good. Mm. Him and his belly button. Yeah. Okay. Well, we there, were, there you go, David. You we, were, we did a topic. <laughs> well, no, we were on that topic because of the super mega guys in their podcast. And he was talking about how like. When he gets an examination, the doctor like lays him down on the table and sticks his finger in his belly button to like feel his abdominal region and like Which is not a thing. And and the other guy was like, Wait, what? He what? He he like and he was like, Yeah, you know, like when he's like feeling around for like your intestines and stuff. He's he like feels my stomach, but he's never like stuck his whole finger in there before. And he was like, Yeah, dude, he like really presses down really hard and it, it kinda hurt. Now I'm just like, I don't know what the big deal is. Like, I don't feel anything in my belly button. So. There's, I, 
I feel. I want to know what the connection is. I think the thing is that you have no connection. Oh my God. <laughs> I feel like that's how we figure out who is an android. <gasps> it's me. You were made. I knew it because I'm too perfect of a blend between mom and dad. I feel like you're the organic child. I, I'm organic. <laughs> I have the eyebrows of father and the mustache, and I have the nose of I'm gonna, mom. All right. I'll punch you in your mom nose. I'm beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who wants to go first? By all means, you seem super duper excited. Where's your research? It's on my tablet. Oh. You decided to write it all out. Well, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I typed it out all of myself. Oh, by yourself, huh? All by myself. I yeah. didn't even chicken peck. The hunt and peck. Mm-hmm. I've uh, got some backup articles on my laptop, but I'm going to scoot that out of the way. Give myself some room also, I for just this have juicy story. Mm-hmm. Do it, Faith. All right. My story today isn't necessarily revenge, but it's a really good, like, I mean, it kind of is revenge. You'll kind of see, like, what it is when I get to it. Basically, I'm going to have to readjust my mic so I can read my notes. So I'm going to pause this, okay? Okay. You don't like it? I don't know. I feel like now I have to peek around the microphone (laughs) to see you. But I mean, I'm just going to be listening. Heck, I'll close my eyes. You're going to close your eyes? You know what? Everybody uh, will... Everybody listening, close your eyes. If you're you're driving. No exceptions. Don't don't close your eyes. If you're in traffic, it's okay. Princess, open your eyes. It gets really crowded on I-5 right around Lombard. So you just take a rest. Shit, take a nap. All right. We have a story about televangelists. For people that are like me, can you elaborate <laughs> as to what's what a televangelist? I... Yeah, what's that? Uh, a televangelist is basically like a pastor that does sermons on the TV. And this one is one of the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Casey's just got this look like, oh my God, those people. Well, I just got really excited because I immediately thought, like, do you remember the old YouTube video of the farting priest? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> oh my god i haven't oh. yeah no those <laughs> those videos get me every time i can feel them inside me <laughs> <laughs> okay anyway okay welcome to hqn a podcast about farts <laughs> we're so stupid i'm 11 <laughs> So we're going to talk about Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. You just pit pit check in front of me. (laughs) So Jim Baker was born January 2nd, 1940. He was a televangelist for the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal body of about 3 million members worldwide. They are the largest Pentecostal ministry. Pentecostalism is a form of Christianity which places importance on baptism and direct communion with God as opposed to Roman Catholic who believe that you gotta talk to your priest to talk to the big guy. So, learned you some shit there. And then Tammy Faye LaValle uh, was born March 7th, 1942. They got married when they were about 20. Actually, I think they got married when they were like 18. So young married couple of Christian kids. Hopeless. Hopelessly in love. With God. All right. So in 1966, Jim and Tammy started at Pat Robertson's Christian Broadcast Network. Initially, their audience was in the low thousands is what I read. Bigger than ours. (laughs) So far. (laughs) 
audience in the low thousands. They were both so charming and dynamic. The network saw massive growth and success. And eventually the Bakers were the first hosts of uh, a show called the 700 Club on the Christian Broadcasting Network. Uh, The 700 Club is still on today. And I know this because almost every bar I've worked at, at some point, the TV just sort of like wanders over to the 700 Club. When I was a bartender at a strip club, every once in a while, somebody would just like change the channel to the 700 Club. Hmm. And... It was, anyway, it was highly... Somebody was feeling guilty about being there. (laughs) Of course it was sacrilegious. They basically began one of the biggest TV shows to uh, be broadcast on a Christian network. They left that ministry in 1972 and they joined up with... And this is the only time that these people's names are mentioned ever, like in the history of like Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. But they joined up with Paul and Jan Crouch to create the PTL Club in 1972 on a network that they created called the Trinity. That's where everything begins. So PTL stands for Praise the Lord, but they also said that it stood for People That Love. I mean, People That Love just doesn't roll off the tongue as much. Later on, hate, 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 hate. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, honey. Hi. Hi, David. <clears throat> oh, okay, I love you. <laughs> just peeking in. He heard his chant. Hate, hate, hate. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he came. You guys just get so fixated on something. You're both just like, hate, 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 hate. <laughs> All right. So the PTL Club, basically a Christian late night talk show. They featured other religious figures like Billy Graham, who uh, was basically the most popular televangelist to ever exist. But they also had regular entertainers like Mr. T was on there. Mickey Rooney was on there. They had Little Richard. They had Pat Boone, who is obviously no longer that much of a celebrity. But at the time, it was like having Justin Timberlake on the show. So it was wildly successful and basically so successful that they didn't need commercials to fund it. So like regular TV shows get all of their funding from advertisement. So Jim and Tammy would simply look into the cameras and ask for contributions, which were handled through the ministry's cash centers in Heritage Village. And Heritage Village was a headquarters that Jim and Tammy built in North Carolina. So it had the studio that they filmed the PTL club in. Like, it was basically like a giant compound in 19... Let me see here. By 1978, they were bringing in... I think it was like $24 million a year. Holy cow. In, yeah. That was in 1978. That was in 1978. A lot of these numbers I do um, like today's dollars estimates. Yeah. So by 1978, they were bringing in about $29 million a year. In today's money, that is $64.3 million. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you can, I mean, you. I feel like you know where this is going. Yeah. Basically, it's so massively successful. In 1985 money, they're bringing in a million dollars a week. And in 2019 money, that is $3.7 million a week. The government, so government officials basically. I wish that was my unemployment. I mean, they're in, they're in like. A week. A week. They're bringing in like $3 million. So people are literally, and they're not doing this. They're not being paid by like ad companies. They're not being paid. They have like a number that scrolls along the bottom. That's like, call now to make your pledge. And it's just like a number. And it's literally just a bunch of strangers that are calling and, and donating. Right. Money. And they're like, and he's, he's preaching and Tammy Faye is crying and it's, like a whole thing. Have you, do you know what Tammy Faye Baker looks like? No. Okay. Let me show you. Is she hot? She was in the day. Oh. Have you, does this look familiar to you? Oh, 
Yes. Yeah. Tammy Faye Baker is for like wearing like 80 layers of mascara and like red lipstick and like fluffy blonde hair. And honestly, like my first encounter with Tammy Faye Baker was she was on The Surreal Life on VH1. Hmm. Do you remember that? It was like a big brother with celebrities. No. And like the little person from Austin Powers was on there. And it was like a bunch of like, oh, and Vanilla Ice was on there. I do not remember this. Oh my gosh. No, seriously. Like I didn't. I really don't think I. I don't think I made that up, but I'm going to (laughs) check. I don't think I made that up. Can you imagine? It just does not exist. And Faith is sitting there like, my fucking was I up, thinking right? of? <laughs> nope. Here it is. The Surreal Life on entertainmentweekly.com. When is this from? Uh, this is from January 12th, 2004. All right. Let's see. Vanilla Ice, Tammy Faye, Tracy Bingham, Eric Estrada, Ron Jeremy, and Trishelle Canatella from Real World Las Vegas. It just sounds like they grabbed a bunch of desperate people. They really did. Tammy Faye was 61 at this point. Tracy, who is Tracy Bingham? Oh, Tracy Bingham was on Baywatch. Ron Jeremy, we already know who he is. I really feel like there was more people on that show, but you know what? That's Mm. fine. It's fine if there wasn't. It's fine. Nothing I can do about it now. Okay. They gained so much popularity that government officials began to basically ally themselves with Jim Baker. And so they were basically coming to Jim and they were like, can you please support us? on your network because they were becoming so massively popular in the early 80s. Um, Jim and Ronald Reagan were getting ready to do a, I think, an interview on ABC. And the cameras were rolling. The footage was not broadcast. But basically, like, Jim leans over and he was and he says, I believe with God's help, we could absolutely deliver 50 million voters. Wow. And Ronald Reagan is just kind of looking at him like, you really think so? You know, like, and he's just like, oh, absolutely. Because this guy was obviously incredibly charming. Right. In 1978, uh, two reporters from the Charlotte Observer started looking into the PTL funds because basically they, whoops. Well, it's like you think, where's all this money going to? Right. So, I mean, they did have like, they were setting up large projects in the ministry and stuff like that. But it was just still so much money that it was like, okay, what are you doing with the rest of it? Right. So at the height of their success, the Bakers owned basically two cars each, one Mercedes Benz and one Rolls Royce. For both of them. They had a mega mansion in North Carolina, a 10,000 square foot parsonage in Florida. Parsonage is in quotation marks because it was a condo. Oh. It was a 10,000 square foot condo in Florida. In that condo in Florida, they installed uh, $66,000 worth of gold bathroom fixtures. Like real gold? Gold bathroom fixtures. Like at least gold plated. Hmm. Yeah. And was this Tammy's? I mean, Tammy Tammy was there. Tammy and Jam are both there. I bet it was Tammy's idea. Potentially. Um, she looks like a gold-plated bathroom fixture type of person. She really does. Um, but she's actually, she's not a she's not a terrible person. I actually kind of ha- have a little warm spot for Tammy Faye Baker. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why when we cover everything else. That's fine. I just think that she likes gold-plated things. Uh, she I get that vibe. Well they also spent thousands of dollars on an air-conditioned dog, dog house. Not going to lie. If I had the money, my own hard-earned money, not just pledge money. But if I had the <laughs> if money. I had the money of thousands of innocent people that i've lied to right as in if it was just my money i probably would do that too <coughs> anything Water. for the puppies anything 
That was ominous. <laughs> Anything. Hell, I'd just buy my dog a house. An actual house. Just a actual house. So reporters began looking into the Baker's use of the PTL Club funds in 1978. Two reporters from Charlotte disclosed that there was $280,000 collected from viewers of the PTL Club to set up TV ministries in Korea, but it was actually used to pay personal bills. Like, they followed the money and they were just like, where did this fucking money go? <laughs> it was just like, oh, we had to pay our cars off for insurance right. so, and rent and Right, whatever. so this $280,000 just sort of like randomly disappears and the two these two reporters are like, this isn't, this isn't going anywhere. So $280,000 in 1978 is now $670,000. Wow. That's a lot of dough. It's a ton. Basically, this prompted the uh, FCC to open up an investigation. Um, and the FCC is the Federal Communications Commission that won't let Eminem B. You get it? The FCC won't let me be. So let me, me be, let me see. <laughs> <laughs> me, me. So basically, the FCC opens an investigation. The investigation is passed up the ladder to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And right around the time Ronald Reagan becomes president, they mysteriously decided there wasn't, ev there wasn't enough evidence and they closed the case. Hmm. Yeah. Because Ronald Reagan was like, thanks for getting me elected and we'll just sweep this under the This rug. can go over here into the trash. So Jim and Tammy by 1986 were being paid. I don't know if this was, if this is today money. Just say it. Oh, this is 2019 money. So by 1986, they were making the equivalent to $3.6 million a year and they were making over $600,000 in bonuses. Yeah. Basically, there was $296 million coming in from viewers. It's basically, they're just sort of like pocketing money. So what had happened is he had started, he, okay. <laughs> he? Is that Jam? Jam Baker. He's basically just like building these mega churches and he, now is this Jim or is it Jam? It's Jam. Oh, Jam. Okay, continue. <laughs> So Jim has this lifelong fascination with Walt Disney. Hmm. Right. He keeps like telling Tammy and like telling everybody else. He's just like, I don't know why we can't have like a Christian Disney world. So he opens up a theme park called Heritage USA in everywhere I look, it says in the Carolinas, but it, I, it doesn't say which Carolina it is. It's just uh, both Carolinas. It's just maybe it's right smack dab in the middle. Well, apparently it's built on the border, but I think it's I think in it's the Carolinas. In South, it's in, in South Carolina. The porter potties the are on the north side. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we made it to both sides. I don't. Uh, I've never been. So yeah. on this property, there is the Heritage Grand Hotel, which is a luxury hotel that he has opened on the property of this Christian-based theme park. He started selling vacations in the Grand Hotel and was telling, was going on the air and telling people, if you give us a $1,000 contribution, you can stay at Heritage USA for three days a year and have access to the park. You and your family can, can come uh, do a three-day Did he realize that maybe there's going to be a lot of overages on that so, like because they're already getting like millions and millions and millions right per week yeah so imagine somebody's like pa yeah i'm gonna throw a thousand dollars at that but yeah. then so is like all those other people and, and so and like in the day adjusting, were people like getting mad because the rooms were taken up 
adjusting up, you're looking at probably like $2,500 to $3,000. So he's selling these vacations. He told everybody that only $25,000 would be sold. Oh, okay, So he's like, get make sure you do this as soon as you can. I only have $25,000 to sell. He ended up selling 66000 vacations for that hotel. Oh, my God. So you have the... Oh, my... Ah, get it? Oh, oh my God. Oh, Anyways, oh. <laughs> so... Because that's what I was thinking of if he oversold. Because then at that point, there's just going to be a bunch of people that are going to be mad because they're all going to try to vacation right around the same time well and it's and so funny be because like people were literally so devoted to him like they looked at him like almost like a cult leader people were like whatever he spends the money on is fine like there are interviews that tv stations were doing and they were like how do you what do you feel about jim baker like using, buying himself yeah, buying himself really nice car having a, this a dog money, house that's air-conditioned Right. Like using this money to do whatever he wants with it. And people were like, you know what? However he decides to spend it, whatever his reason is, that's good enough for me. Like people were just like, I don't even care that he has a mansion. I wish that I had that much money that I didn't care about what somebody spent it on. But that's the thing is that like some of these people were like donating whatever, like some of these people $10. You have to think like in the early 80s, a dollar was like $3. Oh, yeah. It's he has millions and millions of viewers who are sending in. I mean, even if if every person sent in a dollar, you're getting millions of dollars a year. Right. Into this ministry. So with the money. This is just. Yeah, this is just bonkers. If somebody's like, whatever, it's totally fine. Right. Like most of his constituents were like, whatever he sees fit to spend that money on is fine by me. The world was hammered with him. They were totally hammered with him. <laughs> so he builds the Grand Hotel, promises 25,000 people, or promises that only 25,000 vacations will be sold because it's a quote-unquote lifetime membership, yeah, to this hotel. So for like $3,000, you get this like once a year, you get to go stay in the Grand Hotel at Heritage USA. You have access to the park for the rest of your life for $1,000. So now I'm like, I feel like he's way over-promising. Right, that's a lot of promises. Yeah, so he's only selling like 25,000 of these. He says he sells 66,000. Later, he's trying to build another hotel. He bu- he starts building the Towers Hotel and he promises to only sell 30,000 of those partnerships and he sells 74,000. Oh my gosh. Right. Money is like flooding in he personally on that first hotel deal he personally kept 3.4 million dollars of it and used like the rest of it to like because he he basically he told his people i don't want to have to go into debt with the bank i don't want to have to owe anything to anybody but god basically and he kind of like twisted it pay my bills like this yeah like this is an act of god and and if i were to owe the banks it wouldn't be as christianly so people are throwing money at him and he's just taking it all of it as much of it as he can well i mean at this point he literally declared like this is money that is gonna go to me and people are still giving him money so was it like legal at that point he never declared that he actually over and over and over again he lied to people about his net worth and he was like remember when they did an audit and they found out that i'm only worth fifteen thousand dollars and he's talking to somebody else like he's you know got his mic in his hand and he turns to you know somebody else on the show and and he's like yeah they they did not it on me i'm only worth fifteen thousand dollars the audit was in 1977 and it was actually he was worth twenty four thousand dollars which in today's money is like you know like a 70 grand closer to yeah closer to like 70 grand in today's money Ooh, i guessed right yeah i wasn't even like smart there for a second that was a pure guess i'm not 
100% on that. It might be more, could be a little bit less, but I think that's a decent ballpark. Everything's going pretty much okay for Jim and Tammy. Jam? For Jam and Tammy. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I wanted to clarify because I couldn't tell if you literally was like, you literally was. Ah. (laughs) I couldn't tell if you were literally saying like, did you think Jim Jim or Jam? Did you think Jim and Jam were two separate people? Separate. No, I was just literally asking, like, is his name Jim or is it like a southern Jim? Like, Jam. Jam. Jim. J-I-M. J-I-M. Jim. Because you've totally said repeatedly, Jam. Like, (laughs) J-A-M. I seriously did not say Jam. (laughs) We're going to listen to it. And it sounds like you're saying Jam. (laughs) (laughs) So, Tammy and Jam. Jam and Tammy. Oh, my God. (laughs) Exactly. Shut up. Okay, continue. Okay. Everything's going swimmingly for Jam. Everything's going great for Jam and Tammy. I did it on purpose that time. It sounds just like the times that you were saying it before. Oh, shut up. Jessica Hahn used to be a secretary for the Assemblies of God. She came forward in 1987 and basically said that Jim Baker... I'm going to find that noise on here and I'm going to amplify it. Well, so she said that she was sexually assaulted and basically they were right by by Jam, by Jam Baker and basically like his associate. I think it's Robert Dorch, Dorch, Dorch. I already don't like him or should I? I don't know the story. Probably don't because Jim and Tammy were not the only people getting filthy, ridiculously rich. rich off of this. So Screw you, Dorch. Yeah. So the executives and vice presidents were basically receiving salaries and bonuses that were like hundreds of thousands of dollars each. So they were also making millions of dollars. Basically, everybody like further up in the PTL club was millionaires. Oh. And they were using viewership money to... Fund, live their lives fund their lavish lifestyles so jessica hahn comes forward uh she states that jim forced himself on her in a hotel room in florida they asked her if she believed she was raped and she basically didn't want to use that word she was like there were drugs involved and jim and robert forced themselves on me but i i don't like that word and but she was like implying that it was like clearly right. not consensual so she was given money to basically keep it quiet in 1980. It was shown later that an attorney for the ministry paid Jessica $280,000 in 1981, but it wasn't made clear at that time where the money came from or... It was listeners' money. It was viewers' money. The money actually, it was passed through a lot of different channels before it ended up in her hands, but it was like, it was nearly $700,000. Oh. Yeah. Later on, she became a Playboy model. So, hmm. yeah, it's it's a whole thing. So, <clears throat> in 1987, that comes out. He's basically kicked out of the ministry. And Jim Baker hands over basically the entire PTL club to this guy named Jerry Falwell. And Jim was like, let's just, I'm just going to give this to Jerry until all of this dies out. And then I'll come back. And all of this will blow over and I'll come back. And Jerry basically, once he got there, he's like, hell no, Jam. He saw what what was going on and he was just like, it's you're literally committing tax fraud because Jerry was like, "Um, this is illegal. 
This is illegal, you know. Illegal. So he gets there. He finds out that there's like this massive tax fraud going on. He cuts off everybody's bonuses and reduces everyone's wages and bars Jim Baker from coming back to the ministry. Good. Right. But at the same time the Jessica Hahn scandal came out, the Federal Bureau of Investigation decided to open a case. Good. The entire time this is happening, like Jim is telling his followers, like, you know, I'm a man of God. I, I'm not worried about this. I know I did nothing wrong. He goes in 1989. He goes to court to basically be indicted, which they're just like, these are your charges. And we're basically seeing if there's a reason to pursue these charges. So there were 24 counts of tax fraud, conspiracy, because that's the other thing, too, is that he wasn't paying taxes on any of this because it was all under a religious organization. Oh, yeah, dodo. So he paid no taxes on anything, which honestly doesn't seem like that different from today. But I digress. He's indicted by federal district judge Robert Potter, who I, I read this in an in an article from 1989. He's indicted by federal judge Robert Potter, who was also known as Maximum Bob. No! <laughs> You're a wizard, Bob. You're a wizard, Bob. <laughs> uh, and I, I wonder who's Minimum Bob. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, here's a slap on the wrist. <laughs> minimum minimum bob good old minimum bob <laughs> he's like i'm I... nothing like my brother minimum bob <laughs> i'm maximum bob <laughs> you're getting the full penalty he, yeah so basically everybody was like oops he's fucked in the indictment trial tammy faye baker comes out after the after court is adjourned and like walks up to the reporters and she was like i have a song for y'all and like sings like gospel to them and then like stops and she's just like it's not over till it's over and then she like pushes through the crowd but everybody's just like what the hell happened <laughs> so <laughs> mommy i'm frightened don't don't listen don't baby. look <laughs> so uh Maximum Bob sentences Jim Baker to 45 years in prison. Bye, uh, Jam. Bye, Jam. Uh, he also finds him $5 million. Bye, Jam. <laughs> so I did kind of like a small, like, where are they now? Jim Baker, because he was a pastor, he was released in 1996. Um, so he was released early. He lives in Branson, Missouri with his second wife, Lori, and he hosts the Jim Baker show, which is like back at it again. He basically like rebranded and went back onto the air and he's geared more towards like millennials and survivalists. That's really weird. (laughs) Yeah. So he, (laughs) so he basically sells like buckets of freeze dried food for six hundred dollars now. For the end of days. <laughs> for the end of days. <laughs> and he wrote a book about like the apocalypse coming. It's just I just like picture like a survival millennial, a survivalist millennial, and him selling like the <laughs> unicorn frap in a dried freeze dried bucket. Oh my god. So I'll take 20. He's like, remember, Serge? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got it right here. Freeze dried. Uh, So for $600 plus shipping, you can receive a five-year bucket of freeze dried food. He is a Trump supporter. He thinks hurricanes are God's punishment. And Hurricane Matthew, he blamed on Barack Obama. He Hmm. said that because Barack Obama was our president. We had a hurricane. Neighbors, when he first got out of prison, neighbors said that His home was filled with pictures of Tammy Faye. Oh, that's creepy. Even though they got divorced a year before 
he got out of prison. Um, Let it go, Jam. Right. And he published a book in 1996 um, entitled I Was Wrong. In that book, he admitted that his first time actually reading the entire Bible was in prison. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Oh, that's a fake it till you make it guy. Right? Jesus. Like he really faked it till he, he made it right to jail. He made it to the big house. <laughs> With Maximum Bob. <laughs> Maximum Bob. <laughs> Really just helped him on his way. Background explosion as I Maximum Bob throws his gavel down. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that like it's that's like his wrestler name is Maximum Bob. <laughs> he like just he takes the gavel and hits a guy. He takes off his like judge's robe. <laughs> he like whips it off and is like choking somebody out with it. <laughs> Yay. Jumps off the bench and just like... And he has a heart tattoo that says cousin. (laughs) (laughs) So Tammy Faye unfortunately passed in 2007 at the age of 65. She continued to be basically a very devout Christian, but a big thing for her. And she kind of became like sort of like a gay icon because she... Mm. Yeah, she spoke out basically against the church and she was just like, we need to support... LGBT love is love rights. right she basically supported gay rights when it wasn't it wasn't okay to do it she was still a Pentecostal and she continued to be a part of the church but she also she started reaching out to AIDS survivors basically at the height of the epidemic and there was so much like AIDS stigma like people were yeah. just like They were like, Like, don't touch a person with AIDS or you'll get AIDS. Right. So she reached out to people who were sick and dying, basically spread the word that, you know, it doesn't matter like what their status is. Like you, you should treat everybody equally. People that love. Right. People that love. She was the actual like part of people that love. Right. She turned out, I mean, yeah, she had very expensive taste, but she turned out to be like an actually like pretty decent person on the inside whereas uh jim baker got out of prison and is basically a fucking moron yeah (laughs) i think we would all agree about that it's a shame shame that uh that she died and that he's still out there selling freeze-dried food yeah i'm pretty sure he uh sold his soul to the devil it's the it's the only i just had fiddle music play in my head (laughs) yeah in 1992 Tammy Faye, a couple years before Jim got out of prison, she divorced him and she ended up marrying Roe Messner uh, and became Tammy Faye Messner, which is how she was known for the rest of her life. She married him in 1993. That was the contractor that built Heritage USA. Um, He had been a family friend of the Bakers for ages, all through the PTL club. And it turns out that Roe, he fronted the money to pay off Jessica Hahn and basically build it back to the ministry in fake projects. Huh. So he like donated the money to the ministry. An attorney from the ministry took that money and brought it to Jessica. And then basically like he just billed them for projects that he never actually did. And that's how he like recouped that money. He was later imprisoned on bankruptcy fraud. So he went. Yeah. So Tammy Faye can't catch a break. So he in like 96, he uh, went to prison for bankruptcy fraud. So she just needs to find an honest man. I'm pretty sure she's found Jesus now. Good. Most honest man there is. Honest. Well, dang. Yeah. Where was the revenge part? (laughs) 
basically i know we said it was like loosely it's based. loosely revenge but basically it's but just it's sort also of like a, not at all one of those <laughs> things where like it doesn't matter how much you fucking lie cheat and steal from people eventually it, maximum bob will get maximum you. <laughs> bob will come for you <laughs> yay Oh God! Okay, I'm okay. I'm uh, okay. 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 Here we go. <laughs> I'm gonna. Here we go. I'm gonna eventually draw a picture of Maximum Bob of what I'm picturing him in my head. Okay, good. Probably we'll put it on the Instagram. It's, yeah, it's probably not at all what he actually looks like. I just imagine like the big powdered English judge's wig. I'm just picturing like a short army buzzed haircut, but with like thick glasses, like the thick oh my rim God. glasses, but him like tearing off his robe and he's super muscular <laughs> with like a shoot ton of tattoos he's underneath. He's got like American flag undies on. <laughs> yeah. And he's just says like a fucking huge gavel, just <laughs> <laughs> like Thor's hammer, except wood. I just imagine him being like <laughs> gigantic. I sentence you to a beatdown. <laughs> <laughs> and he flies over and he just pummels the guy right there. I He's imagine like, him. You served your sentence walking away from a pummeled criminal. Just like a, a pile of broken men. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I imagine him being like gigantic and totally stacked and wearing the powdered wig. And then he rips off his judge's robe and it's got like the scales of justice tattooed across his Good. chest. Yep. That's what I that's what I picture. Yeah. Or like at night he is Robert what's his last name? Oh wait. Uh Robert Potter. At night he's just Robert Potter. But during the day he's Maximum Bob 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 Shouldn't that be the other way around? I don't know. By Does day he... he's Robert Potter? Um, does he do his job during the day? I guess he has maximum so, Bob yeah. during the day. <laughs> He's maximum Bob. And then he goes home to his wife, and now he's just Robert Potter. He shrinks down and like takes off his glasses as he's coming in. Mm-hmm. He's like this little frail old man. Hey, honey. <laughs> What'd you make for dinner? Oh, asparagus again? Ah, well, everybody's been asking why the bathroom smells funny. <laughs> okay, we're going to stop that right there. <laughs> Um, so I guess we'll pause. <laughs> yeah, we will. Because I need to go to the bathroom. Is it potty time? That was a good break. Yeah. We quickly ate a bunch of popcorn. Yum. Yum. Good shit, good shit. Good shit, good shit. <laughs> Alrighty. I'm ready. You're ready? Mm-hmm. You're ready. Okay. I'm ready. Give me the spookies. Uh, the spookies. I'll give you the spookies. Okay. Um, so this is not necessarily it gives me the creeps, gives me the spookies because it was one of the youngest serial killers. Ooh. Um, I don't know if that is in I'm surely it's not in all of the world, but it's definitely in the UK. Okay. It is about Mary Flora Bell. Um, Flora Bell. Yep. Mary Bell, born 1957, to her teenage mother, which was a prostitute. Oh, okay. A lady of the night. A sex um, worker. Yeah, a sex worker. Her mother, Betty McCricket, and then her father, Billy Bell. Kind of- Billy Bell? Billy Bell. Mm-hmm. Kind of a background here. Her mother- Her mother- her mother betty was um i did lady of the night a prostitute that specialized in sadomasochism oh so mary the the sm and bdsm right 
Ah. Yeah. So she kind of pretty much so specialized in that. Uh, they kind of grew up in a slummy area. The housing pretty much only had like one room. Oh. So Mary probably witnessed a lot of stuff that would happen when her mother would bring clients home. Oh, no. Yeah. And apparently... Betty allegedly, like, tried to kill Mary on many occasions by feeding her pills as treats or other ways of poisoning her. Uh, At one point, she tried giving her daughter up for adoption, although, like, other family members were offering to take her, and then she would deny them. And she was like, no. So, like, obviously, her her mom was very wishy-washy, not a very dependable person, and, um, yeah, it was just a very, like, depressive and erratic. And then her father, as they kind of (laughs) her father billy was a well-known criminal that did petty crimes he was well known to the local police they stated that you know that he was a a drunkard and or you know was abusive to uh betty and mary that the police stated that he had a very gypsy thug criminal look about him and then in an interview one guy was like one would not want to meet him on a dark night certainly Oh, (laughs) both parents would sometimes leave Mary by herself for days to weeks at a time. Holy shit. You know, that's one thing back then, and especially in this neighborhood that they grew up in. It it wasn't uncommon for all the kids to be like unattended Mm -hmm. and unsupervised. Right. Because everybody's neighbors would just like look after each other's kids. Sure. So, I mean, it wasn't like completely unheard of, but it was a little bit strange to leave your child alone in the house to fend for itself like for days and or weeks because one you know the dad be probably off doing petty crimes or in jail or drinking and then the mom would be off with clients on a drug and drinking binge they live yeah i would just say like suffice to say she does not have a very good childhood or role models weren't very sunny in the beginning no not at all Not good for Mary. The area that they lived in was kind of a crime-ridden slum of a neighborhood located in Scottswood, West Newcastle. Mm -hmm. Um, This area never truly recovered from the war um, and became like kind of a breeding ground for crime and prostitution. They stated that like every other house probably housed a prostitute. Right. In this certain neighborhood. Right. I mean, it was so bad that like women couldn't even hang their clothes out in the street to let them dry because people would take them. Oh. Also, they couldn't store their coal like in barrels or anything outside because people would take them. Holy shit. Um, so it's a very weird neighborhood. Um, if you picture literally it's just a long ass street. Okay. And then just cookie cutter apartments that go all the way down. Right. And there's no there's no alleyways or anything. It's just one long stretch of a building. And then you finally reach the end. And then there's another street. And you can turn around the corner. And it's just an, the exact same thing. The same stretch of buildings. Right. So and then you can actually just see. You can look up where so it's I like- think it's... The projects. Pretty much. Yeah. But it's really odd looking because literally the entire streets are bare. Like nothing's out front of any of these buildings. And it's just, yeah, it's completely bare because oh, people would just steal everything. That is, gives me a heavy feeling in my stomach. I know. It's, what? yeah, it's very, it's very strange. What, well, like, what year was this? Around 1968. Okay. In essence, it never recovered from World War II. Holy shit. Like, I know. Everything you were like, else they was... never recovered from the war. And then I was like, is this the 50s? So, it, yeah, this is like 1968 when all of this went down. And But this place, like everywhere else around Scottswood, everywhere else around the UK was like thriving and was like in development and becoming more and more. 
But then this whole area was just completely neglected. Oh. Yeah. It was completely neglected and it was just like filled with poverty and it's just kind of like where all of crime was kind of taking place. Right. It was weird. Like everybody was friendly and it was like a close knit neighborhood because mm. they kind of looked out for each other. But they also knew that it, it sounded like they <laughs> it's weird because the more I looked into it, I was like, wait, so it's crime ridden and a bunch of prostitutes and criminals live in this neighborhood, but they also look after each other, but then they'll steal from each other. But then, then it's they... also crime ridden. <laughs> yeah. So, so who's like, doing okay. the crimes? <laughs> <laughs> right. So in their neighborhood, there wasn't really any park or place to play unless like you went to the school or nursery or whatever you would want right. to call it. A lot of the times there was what they called derelict houses or the rat slums, meaning like the houses that were inhabitable. So right. there would be like literally broken down, worn out stretches of buildings that nobody goes into. Oh, uninhabitable. Yeah. In their neighborhood, there wasn't really any place or park to play. So kids pretty much so just like kind of traveled in packs and played together in the streets. So other than just playing out in the streets or playing at the park. They played in the rat the schools. Slums. Yeah, they would play the rat slums, um, especially the boys. Of course, the boys, you know, they would go over there and throw rocks at the windows and this and that. Like, it didn't really matter because slowly Nobody but surely. Nobody was living in there. Right. Yeah. And slowly but surely, they started doing construction, trying to bring, like, better buildings, high rise, like, apartments. Sure. Into the area. So, the, a lot of construction was happening where they were knocking down the derelict rat slum buildings and everything. So, of course, they liked to play in the rubble. Like, that was... Right. Sounds... Pretty awesome. So they're, yeah. Traveling at like a little wild pack of kids and then throwing rocks out a window. Like that sounds more like my jam. Right. <laughs> jam Baker. Yeah. Um. So they, they more or less called this place Rat Alley. With this, in this neighborhood, everyone was, like I said, they were so friendly so that nobody really cared if their children were unsupervised because if a neighbor saw your child doing something bad, they'd just give you a ring and just say right. like, hey, your kid's doing this or hey, your kid's sick or whatever. And then you'd be on your way to find them. Right. Um, so everybody kind of looked out for each other, but they never thought that they would have to worry about 11-year-old girl. Oh. And this is the story. Apparently. I've set the scene. All right. Here we go. At the school playground, Mary's disturbing behavior was kind of known amongst all the other children and the teachers. Mm. For some reason, everybody, when I was doing research, everybody was talking about how piercing her eyes were. Like Ooh. she had dark black hair uh -huh. and like bright blue eyes. Holy shit. And every time, like, you know, Mary would catch you, like, looking at her, like, she would entrance you. She'd be like, Pew. like, yeah, pretty much so staring at you. And then you'd be kind of entranced and you couldn't, like, break away from her gaze. But hmm. she would, like, glare at you. And then you could tell, like, when she gets a kind of funny look in her eye that it's like, okay, get the fuck away from her. Right. Um, I mean, that's what all of the kids said. So they always tried to kind of stay away from her because she would become, like, very aggressive. Or if you were staying away from her, but she ends up attacking, like, the kid that you're playing with. Right. There's not much that you can do. You just have to, like... You just run. You just either run or watch and hope that nobody dies. I mean... And that sounds like, you know, just your typical bully. Right. Grew up in a broken home. Right. Like, really you know, bad. looking for attention, this and that. Terrible issues and just which I was an like an outlet for it just, you know. Right. And I was reading this and I was just like doesn't make it okay, but No, it doesn't. But I was thinking But yeah, myself, it sounds like, pretty typical. I was like, oh, okay, well, that doesn't, like, it sounds like, yeah, she was kind of a bully. So what? But then I read about um, one of her teachers claimed that a student came into his classroom and he noticed that there was a mark on the girl's cheek. And he was like, Where, how'd you get that? What is that? 
And then the little girl said that Mary had put out a cigarette on her face. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So this is an 11 year old girl, like straight up, like put a cigarette out on this girl's face. And then the teacher sent for Mary. All right, well, I'm going to fucking like yell at her. I'm going to tell her what's up. And uh, Mary shows up and he goes, did you do this? And she like cheerfully goes, why, yes, I did. And then he was like, well, don't you feel sorry? Fucking psychopath. Yeah. And she goes, "Mm, yeah. It almost looked like, you know, she was just like on a robot answer. Like she just answered what she thinks that people would want right which yeah then i was like okay yeah she's a fucking psychopath fucking crazy and then next door to mary next door to mary and this is like kind of where i was like oh kind of a i don't know so here i'll just explain so overall not a lot of kids would play with her uh-huh. um they're pretty much so her only option was like this little girl that was next door her name was norma bell and then there was no relation but so mary bell and norma bell yeah okay Norma Bell was about two years older. She was older than Mary, but everybody said that Norma wasn't bright. Oh, I know. I was like, oh, Norma. Oh, oh, Norma. So because but also Mary was extremely intelligent for her age. How like it just blows me away that people used to just like so many of these stories and stuff when we did the Papon sisters, how one was really stupid. Yeah. They were just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah, whatever. I think it was Lori or something. They were just like, she, that one isn't very bright. But it was right. like totally acceptable to say that. So they're just like, they're like, yeah, Norma was two years older, but uh, she was a dummy. Yeah, pretty much. So Norma, although she was older, Mary was smarter and like the leader of the duo. Right. So she was the mastermind of whatever they did or whatever she made Norma do. So with this, Mary would make and or convince Norma to perform horrendous acts of violence on other children along with her. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, so the children of Scotswood had come to fear Mary and Norma Bell, and with good reason. May 11th, 1968, one day Mary and Nora came and picked up a three-year-old boy and took him to buy some sweets. Hours later, oh, and that was the thing too, you could just literally go to somebody's door and be like, oh, is so-and-so home? Like, even if it was like right. a three-year-old, you know, because obviously it's just two little girls. They're like, oh, we want to play with them or we want to babysit or like we thought we could buy him some sweets. Right. You know, mom's going to be like, thank God. Yeah, take him. Especially, you know, if say that mother was a prostitute or a criminal. Who knows? Right. With that being said, like they take the three-year-old boy, took him to buy some sweets. Hours later, like hours, like nighttime later, he was found wandering, dazed and bleeding. And the Holy police shit. and ambulance were called, but no one action, like no action was taken. Because obviously, like, the kid was three, probably couldn't explain very well what happened, probably didn't even know what happened. And then, of course, like, Mary and Norma was just like, I don't know. And again, nobody's ever heard of, like, children committing, like, acts of violence like this. Right. So they never suspected, like, you know, a child could have done it. Another mother reported to the police that Mary had attempted to strangle her daughter, Pauline, while playing in a sandpit. What the fuck? And again, the police did nothing. So in a later interview, as in like, this girl, Pauline, is now an adult. Right. And can still clearly remember what the fuck happened. When, yeah. So she said that Mary had gotten on top of her when they were in the sand pit and started squeezing her neck really hard. Right. And then had one hand positioned on her neck and then grabbed a handful of sand Mm -hmm. and started having it like trickle down her mouth. Oh, my God. And then Mary ended up getting angry that it wasn't going down fast enough. So she started, like, just shoving sand with her fingers, like, down this girl's throat. Ew. So at this point, you know, just attempting to suffocate her. Yeah. I mean, the girl Pauline, she she believes that what had happened is that Norma 
ended up getting startled or scared of this. Norma shot up and like jumped up because I think Norma was also holding her down. But Norma jumped up. And then at this point, Mary was like jumped up too and was like, what are you doing? Like, let's let's do this. Right. And then that's when Pauline escaped. Right. Um, she didn't tell the police absolutely everything or or who had done it or told the entire truth because she was terrified that Mary was going to come after her. Right. So they take a three-year-old boy out and then he's found wandering around bleeding. And now they have attempted to strangle a little girl in a sandbox. Right. Okay. Yeah. Holy and then these these children your throat would be so scratchy after that. Oh my god! Like somebody trying to shove sand down your throat. Terrible. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> uh, two weeks later, on May twenty fifth, Martin Brown, a four year old boy, was found in one of the slums in the derelict homes, and he was dead. Okay. Um, Holy it shit! Was found by a construction worker. The boy was gray and pale. Pretty much. So what happened is that he found the boy brought him out there was a huge crowd of people like kids and adults and they phoned his mom saying like you know martin had had an accident right the mom shows up and the dude's just holding martin's body right and martin is gray pale with just a little bit of blood trickling down like out of his mouth and he's dead already yeah he's dead so she's like you know, she's like, oh, he didn't look dead. I thought maybe he was cold. So she like wrapped her sweater around him and she was like, is he all right? Is he all right? And, you know, the guy was just like crying and saying, I, I don't know. I don't know. And the ambulance grabbed Martin, took him away and mm-hmm. pronounced him dead like upon arrival. Which, oh, my God. Which which they think that he was dead. Dead already. Yeah. Yeah. Because he had like been missing for a while oh like a couple hours they didn't specify but i would imagine that if your body got that pale and gray and cold that it must have been like more than six hours yeah so this is what i don't understand is when the police investigated this they couldn't find any signs of like that it was murder right and they were trying to hypothesize as to what might have happened and like there was no marks on him they, the police themselves, and they didn't release this information, but the police themselves were seeing like old pills on the ground or they called tablets because it's in the UK. Right. Um, But they found like tablet bottles and old tablets and they're like, oh, maybe he ate one of them or whatever because previous owner, like they just left it there. Sure. It's just laying about. Um, People do drugs here. Who knows? But another theory that they came up with is that because Martin was really afraid of stairs. Because he had fallen downstairs multiple times as a little kid. Right. So his mom was like, well, maybe he got frightened by, you know, he was trying to go down the stairs and he got frightened and boy might have been frightened, frightened to death by stairs. So they don't think he fell down the stairs. They think he had like what? Like a heart attack coming down like, the stairs? Like, yeah, they just so got, he got so scared to go down the stairs that he like just collapsed right there. Like cringe. Like that made me cringe. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Seriously. I know it's like the late 60s, but the fucking best you can come up with. Right. Exactly. And this is what really bothered me, too, and kind of made me think like, oh, yeah, you know what? Mary is a psychopath is because the following days after Martin's death, Mary and Norma, what they would do is they would babysit for Mrs. Brown's, Martin's mother's, Uh Mrs. Brown's sister. Right. And whenever Mrs. Brown was there visiting her sister... The two girls would approach her and just like ask her like a bunch of questions like, do you miss him? How are you feeling? 
Oh my asking, God. Yeah. Like analyzing her of after, you know, her son's death. And it's just like kind of days before. And then the day of Martin's funeral, Mary comes and knocks on the door. I think it's Mary and Norma. I, I, I gathered that Norma doesn't really talk very much. I just imagine Norma's just sort of like silently hulking in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah hulking. That's, um, you know, they knock on the door and Mrs. Brown is like, hey, well, you know, what, what can I do for you girls? Because, you know, she was thinking to herself, oh, they're being nice. Like, they care how I feel and this right. and that. But really, like, they're just getting their, like, sick, weird yeah, fix. Yeah, they're just getting, like, a fix of, like, you know, asking her, how are you feeling? Do you miss him? Mary's just reveling in what she's done. Ugh. So, I mean, at this point, like, they knock on the door. She answers. And Mary goes, can I see Martin? And what then the fuck? Mrs. Brown was like, N- no, like, thinking, like, maybe the girls were confused. But she goes, no, no, um, he's he's dead. And then Mary just cheerfully was like, I know, I want to see his body in the coffin. What the fuck? And at that point, then that's when Mrs. Brown slams the door on uh, Mary's yeah. face and then collapses on the other side of the door and was crying. I would have fucking... Oh, Jesus Christ. And then she said that she had to have her husband send for the doctor, which I kind of wish that I could do whenever I'm emotionally distressed. You send for the doctor. <laughs> Give me the doctor. I'm surprised she didn't like shove her off the porch or something. Right? I would have fucking, like, kick rocks. Right? May 27th, the nursery school where Norma and Mary went. Bunch of other kids as well. Okay. Oh, they were, they lived near there, and there was a break-in. And police, when they arrived, they found a bunch of notes that were, like, taped on the wall that said, we killed Mark Martin. I kill so I may return. I murder so that I may come back. We murder. Watch out. And this is what drives me crazy. Is that they were just like, oh, kids will be kids, but it's a prank. Wait, where did they find this? In a nursery that Mary and Norma live near, on a block away. What the fuck? Right. So the police had ruled out Martin's death due to the poor conditions that they were calling the rat slums. Even like protesters were marching that the construction wasn't being done fast enough or it wasn't being done correctly. And what was weird and what kind of detectives thought was strange about this is that the little figure that was always in the front of these marches was Mary holding a sign. Mary was like a sign holder for the marches. Right. She like placed herself there. I don't know, giving herself a cover maybe. What the fuck? Or just being like wanting to be closer to the crime itself. Not quite sure what that was all about. Wednesday, July 31st, Brian Howell, a three-year-old was playing unsupervised in the streets. Most of the time, they all, all the boys would gather whenever there was a demolition day. Right. Um. So Brian Howe, he went out with his friends to watch the demolition that was going on. Three years old. You know, as... Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Is like, today, if you saw a three-year-old wandering the streets... With, like, an 11-year-old. Right. Or, like, an eight-year-old. Right. So it's just like, nope, that's not okay. I'm going to call the police. Right. Child Protective Services. But back in the day, like, you just let your kids run with other kids. Like, that was just a thing. Apparently. (laughs) When he went out with his friends to watch the demolition, uh, yeah, a little while later, Mary and Nora came and picked the boy up and took him away. They said that he, they went to play off at a nearby waste patch. And I kind of had to see what the a hell waste, a waste patch was. A waste patch? 
So a waste patch is essentially kind of so say that like you're driving on a road and then there's just like a random plot of land that's like has like somewhat of overgrowth of grass and there's like rubble from an old building or like a business sign. So like an empty lot. Yeah. And then an empty lot or like an empty building, but like it has a little patch of grass um, with rubble. So they went to like, you know, a little waste patch. They called it the Tin Lizzie. The Tin Lizzie? Right. I think like everybody just named it the Tin Lizzie. And Brian was never seen alive again. It was... Did they find his body? Oh, I'm getting there. Oh, okay. I think it was way, 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 way later in the evening. Police found him later that night murdered. The boy was sprawled out on his back, half naked, lying behind some large concrete blocks. The boy's hair had been cut and kind of thrown about mm-hmm. with scissors. And there was cuts all up and down his legs. And they suspect that it was done by the scissors post-mortem. With that, they took the boy and did post-mortem examination. They found that the boy had been strangled. And the cut marks were naive attempts at leaving initials. And then they also found that his general region was mutilated. His genital region? Yeah. Yes. It's terrible. Like with the scissors? Yeah. What the fuck? And what was fucked up, too, this is when they realized that it was a child that doing was doing it? this. Oh, my God. Because it was all adding up. They're like, okay, so these this was done with small scissors. And also, why would they cut his hair? Why would they try to put names carved in? And then also, there's another account that they picked flowers and grass and just kind of, like, sprinkled it over him. What the fuck? Right. Yeah, what the fuck? Like, straight up young psychopath. With this information out in the public that it that they believe that it's a child and that there was like thousands of suspects, the one person that seemed to want to draw them attention to themselves was Mary. The police would hold meetings and cancels and just to tell neighborhoods like what to look out for and what they're looking for. And, and she was for just help. like inserting and herself. And she was literally inserting herself like right up at the front of each one. She would go to every single one and then be listening very intently and ask a bunch of questions. And oh so God. they were just like, um, let's let's look into this girl this girl's weird so she's killed she's killed two two children basically at this point right okay and yeah this is and this is terrible you know they they thought it was so odd that such a young girl was there and listening intently to literally everything that they were saying and it was keeping up with adults it didn't take the neighborhood long to figure out that it was most likely Mary and Nora, Norma, that had killed the two boys, especially since in the playgrounds, Mary would brag about how she strangled a boy once, etc. What Mary did, not knowing that there is a witness to Brian's murder. There was a witness? Yeah. So they, they were doing some investigations and they were trying to figure out who the hell did this. And then a witness stepped forward and it was a nine-year-old boy with the mental capacity of a four-year-old. Oh, shit. Had seen everything. The boy told police that her method was to first massage the boy's throat, saying like, oh, you have a sore sore throat. Let me massage it and it'll make you feel better. And then she would just squeeze as tight as she could and kill them. The new witness that they were able to then finally take Mary and Norma into custody because previously they tried talking with Norma or they tried talking with Mary and her father, Billy, would be home and Billy would just be like, Get get the hell out of here. Get lost. Yeah, get lost, coppers. And then, like, they had a giant dog, and he would, like, say, like, oh, I'm going to sick 
my dog on you if you don't back off and get out of here. Right. So at this point, now they actually have a witness and more proof that it was Mary. They took her in and Norma into custody, as to which they contacted a child psychologist because the police, nobody in the area has ever had to take in a child for murder. Right. So they called in a psychologist um, and asked how they were supposed to like treat her or handle her in this situation. And while speaking with detectives and the psychiatrist, it was hard for Mary to like calm down or be comfortable. She would act as though she would be very distracted. But then as soon as the subject would change away from the murders, she gave full attention and then start talking about like, oh, yeah, me and Norma, we have so much fun together. I love my dog. When can I see my mom? Like, just very chipper and Weird. very energetic and vivacious and charming, too. Like, right. she was charming she the pants off of everybody. Put on her act. Yeah, she put on her act and everything. And then right at the end of the trial, through it all, she was denying the murders 100% completely. Hmm. They did... Yeah, while Mary and Norma were in custody and was looked after in Newcastle, people that were involved with her, and Norma for that matter, people literally would interview both of them and then just go, oh God, Norma's just Mary's puppet. Yeah, Norma's just like a, a big dummy. Poor Norma. Right. You know, they, they were like, oh, that sucks. They but were then just they like, would, this one's not very bright. But then they would become enamored with Mary because she would be so charming. Like she would hold intelligent conversations and ask a lot of questions and was just very bubbly. So police and psychologists and detectives that were involved with her were like, oh, poor thing. She doesn't even really realize how much trouble that she's in. And then they didn't know what to do with her. Right. Until the trial because... Because like at this point they knew she was a murderer and they were still like, oh... Right. Oh, poor Mary. Which I'm just like, wow, that's some like top scale manipulative shit it's right fucking there. professional narcissism out the gate. Right, exactly. At this point, they d- had no idea what to do with them because nobody's... So what did they do? Well, hold on. Okay. Because yeah, you have to remember like they can't just throw an 11 year old girl into jail. Oh they, my God, I would have thrown no her programs. in jail. I would have thrown her in jail as soon as she like showed up on my front porch asking to see my dead son. Demon baby. <laughs> I'd be like, throw this one away. Oh, I mean, you know, I don't know why I said, oh, yeah, like, this I, is weird. <laughs> I was like, she's got you too. Right. <laughs> um, the one thing that they did find odd was that when they went to question her, and this is what I thought was really creepy, they stated it was almost like she had a computer brain. Like hmm. before you could even finish the question, she would answer it and then continue to answer the rest of the questions before they were even asked. What the fuck? And it would like astonish them. A hundred percent possessed by a demon. Or just a psychopath my lips to your yeah psychopaths don't fucking read minds yeah but they can they're intelligent in the aspect that they could have guessed like what to say to get him out of his situation okay fair enough because that's pretty much so what she was doing was that her brain mapped out like if you say certain things this way then you'll get out of this maze unscathed i'm still gonna say she's possessed by a demon yeah and also demons you know growing up in a broken home and uh, having a horrendous childhood. Right, yeah, that'd do it. So although she had been like denying all the accusations, like the, the accus- hmm. accusations, accusations, the evidence had been piling up against her. Um, they found the scissors that was nearby that was used to cut, you know, Brian's body. It was near the crime scene and it was children-sized scissors, you know, and having an eyewitness, the final piece of evidence that really put it over the top was... That they had been brought to revisit a little paper assignment. Uh-huh. 
because before they were just like, oh, it's we're not going to pay attention to this. Okay. You know, and Mary had done this little paper in class. It was like supposed to be like a little news report. Like you write a paper like if you were to write in the paper. So yeah, like a every day, like a fake news article. Yeah. So she wrote a paper that was like dead boy found in slums. And she had drawn a picture of the construction guy finding Martin's body and Martin's body laying there and then with the pill bottle right next to him. Okay. And she even drew like right next to it tablets. Uh Uh-huh. The police did not give any of this information out. Oh. They didn't give it at all out. The only thing that they just put in the papers was like, boy dies of fright. Oh, fuck. Thanks, cops. (laughs) Right. Thanks, cops. I mean, apparently if you get scared hard enough, some blood comes out of your mouth. (laughs) You just pass away. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'd be dead so hard right now. I have felt that way many times. (laughs) Ah! Ah! I mean, at this point, like they realized, like n- nobody had disclosed that information out to the public, so she they had didn't to have say been that there. there were like pills in the rat slum, and and he may have taken pills or whatever. She right. like so she poisoned she drew him. the scene. Yeah, she, she drew the scene, including elements that nobody knew about. Exactly. Okay. Like what the construction guy was like wearing, this and that, and even though there were some people around, like they didn't report her being one of them. I guess. Right. I, it was yeah. So with this, they had enough to convict her on the 8th of august 1968 they charged norma bell and mary bell with murder they went to trial the 5th of december 1968 of course during the trial mary and norma blamed each other for the killings and then they both denied them at at the same time the entire time i think with this right here you know, they going back and forth and it was also new in the courthouse because they were like okay well how do we how do we do this how do we present this because we can't just have these little girls standing in the middle of this trial. You know, they were upset. They and were like, like, she did it. Nobody out. did it. <laughs> right. And it was an odd thing to see because the trials there in the UK, because it even showed like a picture of the judge and he was wearing a wig. Yeah. So I think they still do that. The trial in uh, in the UK is vastly different. Yes. Like it's very fucking formal. Yes. The thing, too, is that this judge actually then ordered the girls' lawyers to sit with them. And it made the girls more comfortable. And it was then at that point, they were able to be questioned. Right. In court. You know, with all of this going back and forth, they decided to just, like, grab one last thing to decide what to do with the girls. See if they were guilty or not. And it was Mary's diagnosis from a, the child psychologist. Mm-hmm. And of both the girls, they determined that because of normal Norma's mental capacity, it must have been Mary that had done it. So they pretty much so acquitted Norma, right. let her go free. Right. And then um, with Mary's diagnosis from the psychologist was simply put, she lacks the normal emotions that any other child would have classifying her as a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah. So Norma goes home and then they're left with Mary. Oh. And at that point, they were like, okay, so... You're charged with murder. Right. But then nobody even thought about what they were going to do, like, after what, charging her. Right? Because like, they, they can't, like... Put they her can, in jail? Do right. They... They, they couldn't do anything. So she literally, like, stayed with, like, the police and detectives and lawyers in the courthouse until they could figure it out. Because they can't just send her back home. And they can't just let her go free. Right. And then also, they felt bad because they're like, she's a child and she grew up in a shitty place. Right. So, and people were becoming enamored with her because she was charming. 
as well. So yeah, everybody and then that's where the struggle her. is with a lot of people. They're like, no, like she's a demon child and she's done horrible, horrible things. But then they also say that, you know, she's a victim of her environment that she right. grew up in. And that was actually the entire entire population of Newcastle. Majority of them felt sorry for Mary, <sighs> which was absolutely outrageous to That's me. That's bonkers. Yeah, that was outrageous to me is that like they didn't have they all blamed it on like her environment. Mm-hmm. But I still think, you know, at some point you have to blame the kid, too. So, I mean, at this point, they finally reached to a conclusion to send her over to uh, Red Bank. It was a secure school. Like, it was jail school. So, they sent her to a secured, like, military school? Um, No, it was just, just like a secure school called Red, B- Red Bank until she was able to go to prison or be reevaluated. Um, they believe that Mary was a victim herself with the environment she grew up in. She spent 12 years locked away in total. Six of them at Red Bank, special unit, and she was the only girl among 22 boys. Oh, God. Yeah. In 1978, she was moved to Aspen Grange Open Prison because she was dubbed as, like, no longer dangerous. Okay. Um. So when they say open prison, I'm almost assuming that they mean, like, like you can leave, but there's a curfew. You must come back. Or, I don't know. like, you could go outside. Open Grange, like, when I... Or Asp... Is it Aspen Grange? Yeah, Aspen Grange, the open prison... When I looked at it and I saw pictures, it just looks like a big ass mansion. I'm Googling. Okay. An open prison is any jail in which the prisoners are trusted to serve their sentences with minimal supervision and perimeter security and are often not locked up in their prison cells. Prisoners may be permitted to take up employment while serving their sentence. Yeah, so just like I thought. <laughs> uh, in the UK, open prisons are often a part of rehabilitation plan for prisoners moved from closed prisons. They may be designated training prisons and are only for prisoners considered low risk. Right. Okay, so they move her to an open prison. Right. And I will say, like, there was reports that, like, she showed no violent tendencies. She showed nothing. Like, literally, as soon as she was arrested and she got, like... Attention. attention yeah as soon as she got attention and like mentorship and parenting right f- you know from the government she their government right. from like from just the police the and english yeah the yeah english just, government <laughs> the secure special unit school she was then released to to them uh at the aspen grange open prison and then dubbed to pose no threat to society two years later she was then released at age 23 and had her identity changed um, mainly because she was still in the papers a lot anything that happened with her newcastle and scottswood would publish it in the papers and then people would become a riot again being like no she's a killer she killed those boys um not to mention that you know martin's mrs brown she had come to terms that her son had died by an accident Right. You know, and then later police had come and told her like, no, Mary, Mary, Mary killed him. Right. And she's still like living to this day pissed off. Right. And there's like nothing that you can do about it. And then this is my struggle of this story is that there's not really a good conclusion. It just uh, the last thing that was heard was Mary Bell then had a daughter in 1984 and then later had to come clean to her own daughter because after two boys in the UK did a similar thing to another little boy, Mary Bell's case just blew up in the newspaper all over again in the 80s. And then she had to tell her own daughter what what happened. Yeah, what she had done. Her daughter's like, um, is that your face in the newspaper? Oh, my God. And then the last 
acknowledgement of Mary's life that I had found was in 2009, Mary had become a grandmother and still her daughter and grandchild's identities are protected. Right. With that said, whenever something happens with Mary, that whole newspaper in Newcastle, just media in general, will blow up anything about it. And so they pretty much so rubbed in Mrs. Brown's face. Mary has a grandchild. How do you feel about that, Mrs. Brown? And Mrs. Holy Brown shit. is obviously like, well, not fucking good. I don't feel good at all. And she killed my my little boy. And there's nothing that obviously she's just free and out and about. I guess at this point, you know, you have to think like, is she really that evil? Like, is her daughter okay? Like she had a daughter and then her daughter had a granddaughter and it seems like things are fine, but who knows? Right. So, you know, what do you guys think? Is it just the environment that changed her that way? And then after, you know, treating your kids, treating like she was given, then given like discipline and love and mm, emotional attention. Right. She was finally like, yeah, she was normally because, yeah, her mom in those slums, like just pretty much in a, a one room apartment, room apartment, taking she would witness customers shit. and specializing in sadomasochism. Right. And then so, there was reports also that like the mother would force her into right. performing. Well, the other thing too is that like strangulation is such like a, a common kink, especially right. in sadomasochism. So it's just like she's, I mean, it, it, she's strangling kids and kills one and then poisons another one. It's, it's weird. Well, and then it's also, definitely not like they're violent, but it's not like horribly violent. She didn't like use a weapon on them. She like, well, the scissors. Well, that was post oh. post mortem because she strangled him. She like choked him, but then like tried right. to carve her initials into him like a tree almost. I, think the, I guess for me mainly like this story right here, the reason why it's creepy is because is a cause is a cause it is <laughs> a cause. I mean, it really truly does show as human beings how much. We need love and care to be a, at least a decent fucking human being. Right. You know, if, if you do not give a tomato plant like sunlight and nourishment and care. It ends up looking like the it, ones you have in your garage. Yeah, you end up. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah, that was Mary Bell. Holy shit. Yeah. And she truly did look like an angel. She. Yeah. I'm looking at photos of her. And I mean, they really did like everything she did was this huge. They just made a spectacle out of all of it. Like there's a newspaper yeah. headline where she's from the open prison and it's just two nights of freedom with Mary Bell. And it has like this. They have this like photo of her like leaning against a wall, smoking a cigarette. It's almost kind of like provocative. She's in this like striped dress. Yeah. Like they like they really just fucking like. They just rolled with it and followed yeah. her her entire life. And that was mainly the reason why, like, the court decided to change her identity, like, once she was fully released, because it was just going to cause more and more trouble and more of a ruckus. And it also just, like, really freaks me out that, like, her daughter's only, like, five years older than we are. Yeah. To be, if I was, like, expecting a daughter and, like, mom came to me, because these people are, like, the same age, it'd be like if our mom was a serial killer. Right, if mom, if just, mom like, came, came and was like, and was listen, like, I was the murderer when I was five. What, 11, but. <laughs> if she had been like, look, I You're going to see these, a lot of stuff in the newspaper. I killed these two boys. My name used to be Mary Bell. Because she changed her identity, right. you know. Dun, dun. Oh, man. 
I'm looking forward to your birthday party. Oh, me too. I'm also looking forward to my birthday because that's when we are releasing this podcast. What? What? Yeah, her real, real, uh, that was obnoxious. I, I hate I you. I hated myself for doing it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited. I'm stoked. It's going to be on her birthday. Yay. We're going to be launching this. Yes. Yeah, we're going to be going through Anchor. So as Would I'm sure everybody pla- will know. Platform? I don't know. We're still learning It's like things. a hosting platform. Right. Yeah, we're still learning everything. My friend Des was like, what's your, like, what's your... What's your RSS feed? What's your yeah. platform? <laughs> and then I just ignored that message because I was just like... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to message her and be like, Faith, Faith is handling that. She's, we, Faith is going to do that. You got to get us a Twitter, though. Okay. Please. All right. Uh, and maybe set up an Instagram. Okay. And uh, I set us up an email. We are at hqnpodcast at gmail.com. Get in there. Slip in there. <laughs> you can slide into our emails. Please no hate mail. Hate, hate, hate. Hate, hate, hate. hate. <laughs> no hate, 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 hate. Yeah. I would love to hear your stories of revenge. Yes. Or your creepy ghost stories or your creepy ghost stories or if you have any ideas as to like what we should be talking about as far as like epic revenge stories and or creepy ghost stories paranormal or alien stories unexplained phenomenon things unexplained phenomenon of when men can feel their penises when they push their butt (laughs) it's unexplainable It's magic. I just and, don't know how, what's going on. And then watch. There's going to be like a bunch of girls and guys listening to us in traffic. And then they're just going to oh be like touching their Everybody get your fucking driving. fingers right out of your belly buttons right now. <laughs> and don't. <laughs> don't smell it. It's terrible. Don't ask how we know. I'm inclined to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I guess... <laughs> Thank you guys so much for coming. Thanks for tuning in. Please uh, send us an email. Um, and subscribe. And subscribe. Yeah, subscribe. Oh, please Follow subscribe. Us. Please do. Let's see what happens. Please do, 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 do. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.